Well, um, he doesn't need an introduction, but I will. Uh, my son Jacob is coming to minister from Habakkuk, and before, as he's coming, just one little funny note. Um, when I was actually uh, a, a year or so older than him, back at my home church, I had graduated from West Point, and I went home to California before my leave to come here to Fort Benning, and it was my first opportunity to get up in front, in front of the church and actually speak or teach. And I spoke on a verse from Habakkuk, and Jacob's going to cover the prophet of Habakkuk this evening. But I was so unfamiliar with the Bible at that time of my Christian growth that I pronounced it all throughout my messages, Habakkuk. And it, it kind of spoiled my time in the word that evening. And so um, Jacob's going to come, and hopefully he will pronounce the prophet's name right. So come, Minister Jacob. Let me actually turn this off so we're not getting double here. It's such a joy to be with you this evening. Um, I am Brad's son in the biological sense, as well as the spiritual sense. Um, and we're going to be, uh, like you said, examining the minor prophet of Habakkuk. And so turn there now, if you would, with me. But before we do, um, I think it's fitting for us all um, to pray and ask for the Lord uh, to help us. And uh, by the way, I am Jacob. I'm a pastoral intern here. Um, and, uh, but I just, that's my title. Um, that's my prestige. Um, but let's all bow our heads and pray that the Lord would help us. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Lord, you're so good and gracious to us. Um, we thank you for the opportunity for us to gather together as a fellowship of believers. Lord, it is so sweet to be in the house of the Lord and to open up your word and to pray to you. Father, I pray that as we examine this minor prophet of Habakkuk, that, Lord, we would examine it, but, Father, that it would examine us and that your spirit would work among us and that you would illuminate the truths which you have for us tonight, Father. I pray all these things in Jesus' great name. Amen. All right, so you kind of know the drill by now. Uh, we've been going through these minor prophets just to kind of give you a little layout of where we're going. We're going to work through all of Habakkuk. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to read some key sections of it. It's only three chapters, so you'll be okay. We're going to read some key sections of it, and then at the end, I've got sort of a uh, sort of an abstract, a summary, sort of a theme sentence of Habakkuk, which is a run-on sentence, but I think it's, it's, it's helpful for understanding the book. And so we're going to read through it. And then we're going to have one sentence of, of, of truths that we're going to examine. Habakkuk is a particularly interesting minor prophet in light of the other ones because none of the actual text is addressed to the people of God. Actually, the majority of the book, the first two chapters, are actually just a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And the third chapter is Habakkuk's prayer in response to that conversation. So this is a particularly interesting book, a sweet, sweet little book of just three chapters um, and so I'm so excited to examine it with you uh, briefly. So without any further ado, we'll start in verse, verse 1 and read through verse 4. Here's the word of the Lord in Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteousness, or surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Okay, so what's going on here in these first four verses? Well, Habakkuk 
was probably written sometime around 640 B.C., and it's sandwiched in between the fall of the northern kingdom Israel and the fall of the southern kingdom Judah. And at this point, the northern kingdom of Israel has fallen to the Assyrian Empire, and the southern kingdom of Judah is surrounded on all sides by the Assyrians. And as we know, during this time, the Assyrian Empire were enemies of God's people. They hated God's people. But really, they are not the focus of Habakkuk's complaint. What Habakkuk is seeing here, actually, is a moral and spiritual decline of God's people. And this, as a prophet of the Lord, concerns him greatly. And so he cries out to the Lord. And let's look at the Lord's response in the next two verses. Read with me in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, the Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So the Lord tells Habakkuk, after answering his complaint, he says, Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to be a judgment. Now, I don't exactly know what Habakkuk was expecting to hear from the Lord with his complaint, but I know for a fact it wasn't this. So let's keep reading to Habakkuk's second complaint in chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk answers back to God. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Lord, have established them for a proof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk looks at God after hearing God's response and says, what? He says, God, you're so just. We won't die. How could this be? You're raising up the Chaldeans? You're raising up the Babylonians? Lord, they're worse than Judah. He says, they're going to swallow us up, and, and, and they're more wicked than us. He even says at the end of his complaint, um, I will take my stand. This is, this, is, this is later on. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And let's hear the Lord's response. Habakkuk cries out to the Lord. The Lord says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, a wicked people as a judgment. And Habakkuk doesn't understand. But let's see what the Lord says in response. Now, flipping over to chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, as he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. For it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. The Lord tells Habakkuk in response, the Lord says, what I said is going to happen will happen. He says, write it down. It might seem like it's delaying, but it's coming. But as for you, Habakkuk, as for the righteous, they shall live by faith. Not based on what they perceive around them, but by faith. And if that statement sounds familiar to you, that's because it's quoted numerous times in the New Testament. 
It's quoted once in Romans, once in Galatians, and once in Hebrews. And we'll discuss that more after we get done with our overview of the book. But as for now, the Lord continues his response by assuring Habakkuk that surely judgment will fall on the Chaldeans as well. The Lord is raising up the Chaldeans to be a judgment for Judah, but he also assures Habakkuk that the Chaldeans will also receive judgment for their evil. The Lord casts woes on them in this next section. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 8. He casts a woe on them for their violence. Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations, speaking to the Chaldeans now, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. He cast a woe on them for their drunkenness and for their perversion. Look at verses 15 through 16. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. And he casts a woe on them for their idol worship. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Lord, cast this woe and this judgment on the Chaldeans. And in this judgment on the Chaldeans, we see the beautiful tension of God's sovereignty. But again, we'll get to that in just a moment. We have one more chapter, and that is Habakkuk's prayer in response to the Lord. So in this prayer, we're not going to read all of it, but in this prayer, he extols the Lord's greatness and the power of the Lord. And towards the end of the prayer, he prays this. Read with me in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Listen to this. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Let's keep reading in verse 17. Listen to this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes, my, he makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. So, now moving on to this sort of theme, abstract sentence, which I have for all of Habakkuk, and it's sort of split up into three parts for us to understand. Now, again, it is a run-on sentence, so if you're grammatically inclined, then I ask that you'd please forgive me, but here it is. The Lord uses the wicked to judge the wicked. That's part A. 
part B. However, he will one day judge all wickedness and bring justice to his people. That's part B. And part C, therefore, we live by faith and hope in him. So we're going to examine each one of that, each one of those sections, part A, part B, and part C that we're pulling from this minor prophet of Habakkuk. So first, that first part of the sentence, the Lord uses the wicked to judge the wicked. This is what we're seeing when the Lord is raising up the Chaldeans and the Babylonians to judge the wicked people of Judah. Now as we contemplate this truth, it's extremely important that we are very, very humble. Because this is a mysterious tension that we're dealing with here. Because we need to be reminded that God is never responsible for sin or for evil. Never. However, even sin and sinful actions and sinful people fall under the sovereign plan of God to actually redeem his people from sin and eventually, finally, and fully defeat sin on the last day. Now, that was a, that was a really dense sentence. And you might tell me, or you might ask me, okay, intern, how does that all work? And I would look at you humbly and say, I don't know. Could the Lord have, in just a moment, struck down by some divine decree all the wicked people in Judah? Well, of course He could. But the Lord, in His sovereign wisdom and plan, decided to raise up a wicked people, the Chaldeans, to be the tool by which he would bring about his righteous judgment. Do you hear that? He would bring the wicked people of the Chaldeans to actually be the tool of his righteous judgment on the people of Judah. And even the wickedness of the Chaldeans does not go unpunished. This is mysterious and this is hard. And in our finite human brains, it might be easy to accuse God of being unjust, but he is not unjust. He is not unjust. This is one of those mysterious mysteries in the Bible, but the important thing is it's in the Bible. And we ought to be humble as we approach it. The Lord's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Maybe there's someone who's smarter than me and more educated than me that could better answer that question. But I know for me, it is a mystery. So we ought to be humble as we approach it. The Lord uses the wicked to judge the wicked. Now let's move on to that second section, B. We're, we're moving pretty quick here. However, he will, meaning God, will one day judge all wickedness and bring justice to his people. In our text, of course, the Lord promises judgment for the Babylonians, for the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk takes great comfort. Remember, in chapter 3, verse 16, Yet I will, this is Habakkuk, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. However, at this point, again, we have to be extremely humble. I'm going to sound like a broken record in a minute. But because outside of Christ, asking for the Lord to bring about his justice is probably one of the foolish things, one of the most foolish things you can do. Outside of Christ. Because you might just get it. You see, it's a wonderful thing to take joy in the justice of the Lord on the wicked. 
It's a wonderful thing to delight in the Lord's judgment on evil. However, it must be couched in the fact that, that our lives and our regeneration is dependent not on the Lord being just towards us, but merciful to us. You see, in contemplating this truth, the Lord is holding back His judgment, His justice, every moment by allowing a sinner even to take another breath. And this is so contrary to the humanistic culture which we breathe in and out every day in America. That we, a creature from the dirt, who is created by, by none of our own power, who exists not on our own power, but solely because the Lord holds us together, shakes our fist at God, as, as the late R.C. Sproul said, in cosmic treason against Him. And yet, the Lord allows sinners to take another breath. This is His mercy, not His justice. We rely on this mercy. But for those who are in Christ, the greatest mercy of all comes in the form of Jesus Christ, who died a death that was not just, that was not justly deserved, so that the unjust, us, might be justified and united with Him. So yes, we can delight in God's justice. It's a good thing to delight in God's justice. It's a good thing to look forward to the day when eventually all wickedness and all evildoers will be vanquished. But only when we remember that we are called children of God, not by God's justice, but by His grace. But by His grace. We must be humble. We must be humble. Not shaking our fist as if to puff ourselves up but to be humble knowing that the only way that we can be called the child of God is by the Lord's mercy and by His grace. So in that third part of the sentence, this is so glorious that we see from Habakkuk. Therefore, in light of all that, therefore, we live by faith and hope in Him. Let's read again that glorious, glorious prayer of Habakkuk in chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Yet, this is, this is Habakkuk's response to the Lord, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. See, Habakkuk knew, because he was taught by God, that the promises of the Almighty are not affected by the circumstances in his life. And he rested in that. He rested in that. See, friends, we live in an information age. We live in a time where if you do a math problem, you have to show your work. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, we want to see how everything works in a nice chain, all in a tight, logical package. We want all the information. Before we buy a car, we need to know the car facts. We want to know everything. We want to know every little detail, how it all works together, how we're going to get there. If we're planning a route, I mean, I recently went to Atlanta yesterday, and I didn't just get on the road and just start going. No, I, I knew the route I was going to take, and I would be anxious if I didn't know the route I was going to take and went anywhere. We live in an information age, and yet, although Christianity is certain, certainly a rational, rational religion, 
And certainly empirical evidence is not wrong, but the way that the Lord calls us to live is not through empirical evidence, but through faith. But through faith. And it was by that faith, because everything around him is crumbling. The people of Judah are in moral decline. The Chaldeans are coming to judge them. But by all standards, it's not looking good. But it's by that faith that Habakkuk was able to say, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. So then the question I want to extend to you and to myself is what's your strength? When the chips are down, what is it that preserves you? When the Chaldeans are knocking at the door, when their siege towers are approaching your walls, where is your strength found? Is it your family? Is it your career? Is it in some recreation or escape? Beloved, it's my earnest prayer that with Habakkuk, we all might say, God, the Lord, is my strength. And that's my prayer for me as well. We all need help with this. So let's all bow our heads and pray that the Lord would help us. Father, again, we come to you humbly contemplating this amazing truth and how you use even wickedness in the world to accomplish your sovereign plan. God, you're so good and you're so wise. Lord, we submit to you and to your plan. Lord, I pray that with Habakkuk that we would say, God, the Lord is our strength. Lord, help us with this. Help us come alongside each other, link arms as a community of believers. As, Prof as Raphael preached this morning, that we would have our identity fully rooted in you, not in any temporal circumstance or anything like that. Father, help us. Help us. We need your spirit. Humble us. We pray all these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen.